0: Welcome to Health Hats, learning on the journey towards best health. I'm Danny Van Leeuwen, a two-legged, cisgender, old white man of privilege living in a food oasis who can afford many hats and knows a little bit about a lot of health care and a lot about very little. Most people wear hats one at a time, but I wear them all at once. We will listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities in the awesome circus of healthcare. Let's make some sense of all of this. Do you ever feel like you're part of someone else's play? Especially when you go to the doctor's office as a caregiver or a caree. That's what some people call a patient, a caree. So you and your caregiver or caree feel like crap. You're exhausted. You're cranky. What are we doing here? The staff is unfamiliar. Really, they're strange. What were we going to accomplish with these strange people? I'm a nurse. I'm a patient expert and a caregiver expert. Yet most of what I know and teach goes right out the window when it's me in the doctor's office, whether I'm there for myself as a patient or there for someone else like my mom or my son as a caregiver. It's 50-50 whether it's a good appointment or a shit show. I need different skills, an attitude adjustment, something when I go to the doctor's office. Being a nurse is no help. I used to work at Boston Children's Hospital, where I led the Patient Family Experience Initiative. I took a class there from the clowns. They were known as the Big Apple Circus then, and the Laughter League now. I wonder if we could learn some of what the clowns can teach us as patients and caregivers about relaxing, reading the room, figuring out what you're there to do, and not ending up more stressed than you went in maybe even having a bit of fun. In this episode, some of which aired first in November 2018, we'll speak with Jason Stewart, a clown at Boston Children's. I share this interview again for several reasons. First, my attention the past few months has focused on COVID-19. I'm having trouble catching my breath. No, not from a lung infection, but from apocalyptic thinking, the world coming to an end. To know me is to know that as a child of Holocaust survivors, my pathological optimism competes with apocalyptic thinking. I told my son yesterday, he's in his 40s, about trying to shake the apocalyptic self. He reminded me that when he was nine, we were sewing quilts against AIDS and nuclear disaster. He reminded me that this is the end of the world as we know it and has been since he can remember. Okay, sober thought. Second, I'm preparing an episode for the podcast about COVID-19 testing. Surprise, surprise. Testing is complicated. The interview I recorded wasn't sufficiently clear for my taste. I need another week to prepare. So I went back to 2018 when I first started podcasting and found this uplifting gem of an interview with a clown. Re-listening, re-editing feeds my pathological optimism. I'm laughing and crying and breathing deeply and freely. Please join me to re-meet Jason Stewart. I met Jay in 2010 when I led the Patient Family Experience Initiative, and I took a course that he taught called Reading the Room. I never forgot that day. I had thought going into the class that I was a really empathetic, sensitive person. But I have to say, taking the class really upped my game. I became a better listener. It was my first introduction to mindfulness, even though I don't think the word mindfulness was used in the class. And it expanded my tools to be able to manage stressful situations. So um, welcome, Jay. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about your journey uh, becoming a clown at Boston Children's.
1: Okay, sure. Um, My story is Kind of long. I'll try to give you the the condensed version. I was in theater in college and kept getting cast as the comedy relief in all the uh, shows I was in. (laughs) And uh, the uh, directors, uh, every time I would ask, can I do this? I said, Jay, go with your strengths. Jay, go with your strengths. (laughs) And I said, well, okay. And then uh, one of the directors that I really respected a lot said, Jay, you fall down well. You should look into physical comedy, clowning, and physical theater. And uh, it really struck me, and I thought, well, okay, if he says that, then I'm going to check it out. And about that time, the Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey Circus came to town, near where I was going to school. And um, there was an audition for the Clown College. And I thought, what is that? Because I had never really even seen a circus. Uh, And clown, to me, meant the guy that shows up at your kid's birthday party. You know, I didn't know uh, anything more about that. Mm -hmm. But um, I got talked into it and went to the audition. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, It was a two-hour workshop of uh, all kinds of improvisation and comedy and slapstick techniques and, and get up and show us what you got. Kid was the attitude, and I loved it. Uh, there was elephants in one ring, and there was people flying on the trapeze in the other ring, and right in the middle there we were with Clown Alley, Uh and so I just said, you know what, if they'll take me, I'm doing this, because mm. it was too great. So I uh auditioned for the Clown College, and I I uh, got accepted. I was one of the lucky ones. It was a ton of people, and they would whittle it down to just 60 uh students at the time, and it was more like a boot camp than a college. We were there for 10 weeks, and it was seven days a week, and you you know, knocked yourself out all day long. So uh, great training, though, has always uh, carried me well. Uh, and at the end of the term, graduation was an audition to get onto the show. And I ended up back out on the road uh, with those guys. Uh, same troop that had auditioned me, I joined that troop. And so uh, in some ways, I kind of knew who they were. In some ways, they were these unapproachable heroes of mine. And then I began to realize, oh, we're like sort of the same tribe here. And I spent two years out on the road, and I knocked around 500 shows a year. It was great. About that time, I realized I needed to go back to school because I left grad school to go on the circus. And I was going to lose that degree if I didn't go back to get there. Mm. So the thesis written. So I did that, left the road. And then I was asked to teach at the Clown College during the period of time. I was traveling all over the place. I was taking every gig that I could get. Uh, To you know, use my my newfound uh, love of clown and then uh, went overseas. I was in Japan with a circus. I came back to Ringling. I was the boss clown on the greatest show on earth and writing gags and casting people and supervising the whole crew and blah, blah, blah. It went on and on. And uh, so after my Ringling days were done, I met my wife through the circus. Our kids were born out on the road. Uh, We traveled for several years. Uh, and then when the kids got to be about school age, we decided to get off the road. And by hook or by crook, I ended up hearing about this team of performers and variety artists and clowns who were performing um, in hospitals. And I thought, wow, okay, well, it's a gig for a clown, right? So I'm going to audition for it. And I uh, did. And it was here in, uh, at Boston Children's Hospital. And just by absolute fluke, I fell into this wonderful thing. Um, And I said, okay, I'm a clown for 20 years. I've been all over the place. I've done a ton of things. But this is the hospital. And I went, wow, what am I going to do in there? You can't throw ties. You can't do a bunch of falling down slapstick. you know, blowing things up like we did in the circus.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, And I was thinking, I need to really shut my mouth and learn something about what this is. I can't come in with these guys who've been here for at that time about fifteen years. I can't walk in here and act like I know more than they do, because I may know a lot about clowning, but I don't know the venue, I don't know the mm-hmm. style, I don't know what's required
2: mm-hmm. in
1: that in that environment. So I was that was another one of the very smart decisions I made was to realize you don't know anything. Mm-hmm. Come in as a newbie, come in as the new guy, and just learn. And uh, and so that's what I had to do. I, I kind of had this impression that the kids in the hospital were somehow some kind of different creature. There were some different species. Oh, it's a sick kid. And mm-hmm. I was tiptoeing around and wa- worrying that I was going to do something wrong. And then I realized, you know, Jay, it's just a kid who happens to be sick. Mm-hmm. The kid doesn't want you to come in and walk on eggshells and pat him on the hand and tell him he'll be okay. He wants you to be a clown for him. There's an expectation that comes with that nose and those mm-hmm. big shoes. And the kid wants you to, you know, he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to be in the hospital. Nobody does, mm-hmm. right? And so I learned quickly to to not walk on eggshells and to not treat them as if they were some special case, you know, beyond what is required for the environment, mm-hmm. but um, just to be a clown for them uh, and to bust to joint up a little bit because that's, I think, what every kid deep down kind of wants mm-hmm. and so um, this is now my I'm into my 12th year uh, performing at, at the Boston Children's and also down in Providence uh, at the Hasbro Children's Hospital in mm-hmm. Rhode Island and uh, you know I work uh, two sometimes three days a week uh, I'm in the hospital it's um, it's an intense experience but it's wonderful and I I, I do value it very much
0: so I came out of that experience with you uh, when I was at uh, Children's Mm -hmm. a lot less afraid to fail, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: actually embracing failure. And Uh I think that was something that um, you talked about in in the course. Can you talk more about that embracing failure in your work?
1: Sure. Uh, Yes. I always say that I I have honed my craft of being a failure because it it really is uh, what I think for comedy, generally an audience wants. So failing is taking a chance. It's making a big choice. It's going beyond your comfort zone and then not hitting the target for me. The idea that the clown is, in many ways, a reflection of all of us. It's, it's every man. There's been clowns in every culture. Uh, and because there's a need, a basic human need, for that person, that, that entity in their world. The clown is the reflection of us all. And the, the clown can allow us to vicariously fail. And to vicariously enjoy or or feel good about ourselves, because here's somebody that we perceive as even a bigger failure than ourselves. (laughs) So uh, it's a way to laugh at ourselves. And by the clown making themselves vulnerable and making themselves the butt of a joke, the clown opens that door to our own insecurities and our own foibles and our own Uh, fear that we are losers. We are all of us losers. Any good comedian is a loser. And because the audience, the people that you're encountering, they want that. They want to see that subliminally that they are not alone (laughs) as a loser. They can commiserate and they can at at a subconscious level kind of feel a bit superior and empowered by going well at least I'm not this guy in the hospital I feel like that's very pointed it, it's uh, very true that anybody who's in the hospital can probably use a laugh and anybody who's in the hospital probably feels a bit like the failure and when I say that I mean subconsciously the kid of, of any age you know not not a little baby but you know a kid who's gotten to a certain point probably feels like they've done something wrong down deep because they're in the hospital. They they aren't, their normal world has altered and it's everyone's paying all this attention to them and trying to do all this stuff. And they probably feel like they're not really succeeding in being a kid. The mom mm-hmm. and the dad probably feel like failures because they couldn't keep their kid out of a the hospital. They probably mm-hmm. feel like, Oh my gosh, did I, do something wrong, did I pass a gene on to this kid that am I a failure? And and so in this stew of bad emotion and fear and anxiety and, and feeling like a failure, in comes the clown. And I find that there is a level of, I don't want to say desperation, but just a very welcoming, Oh, please come in here and do something for my kid. The, the way that people Perceive what's going on in the hospital. There's tests and there's blood draws and there's all these medical discussions going on, and it's all very high, high uh, stakes, and it's very high, you know, uh, anxiety. And everybody gets their shoulders up under their earlobes and they can't breathe right. And then this, I find we come sailing in, mm-hmm. we take the take that on, and we redirect and we mm-hmm. give them a good laugh, and hopefully, when we're leaving, they take that breath. And they mm-hmm. can realize and say, hey, there's still good out there. There's still mm-hmm. laughs and idiots who are willing to walk face first into through a door and do all these ridiculous things for nothing other than just to give you a break so you can breathe again and just kind of go, okay, what's next?
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I want to know, okay, now whew, I feel, okay, good. Feel a little more reset, balanced and go. And a lot of that comes from the idea of these guys are failures and they empower the kids. The kid is always smarter. The kid is always funnier, stronger, the better example. We need the kid's help. We need mom and dad's support. Mm -hmm. We need them. They can feel like they are helping us, even if it's just to accomplish the silly goals that we have set, Mm -hmm. Um, and that in us being a failure, needing their help, subconsciously that lifts them hopefully through a good laugh at the end, you set up something, you build it up and you blow it off with a good laugh. Mm-hmm. We can lead them uh, in a in a better place. What I consider a failure is if I go into that room and I don't have an effect.
2: Mm-hmm. If
1: I go in and it's kind of not a not a positive reaction or not, mm-hmm. a, if I can't get through, if I can't bring them up. If mm-hmm. I can't leave them a little better off than, than I, I mean, nobody bats a thousand. Mm. There's going to be rooms you go in and it's just ice cold and they're not going to engage. They're at the hospital. You can't blame them for that. Right. In some ways, it empowers them to be able to say no to us. Okay. They can't say, they cannot say no to anything else in that the environment. The kid, they yeah. Can't, the kid. Yeah, the kid. Even the yeah. parents, if they, okay. if they walk in, we've got to do a blood draw. There's no parent that wants to hear that. Oh, you got to stick a needle in my kid's arm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter, but they can't say no to. They cannot. They're not in control of their mm-hmm. experience right then, and they probably feel like a failure because of it. Mm-hmm. When we can come in and let them say no to us, they can. You know, in some ways, mm-hmm. I feel like even the rejection of, not today, clowns. We're yeah. not up for today. In a way, that's an empowerment. Yeah, and it, if if I see that as my failure. It's their win, Mm -hmm. and that's why I'm there.
0: I I hear a couple of things here. One of Mm -hmm. them is that in my professional life as a patient caregiver expert or Mm -hmm. as a nurse, I always thought that if I succeeded at everything, I didn't set my sights high enough. Failing means I tried something and it didn't work and I need to adjust. I need to learn from it and I need to uh-huh. try something different. I feel like managing your health is like that. You, mm-hmm. you take a medicine, you get exercise, you change a habit, and sometimes it helps and sometimes it doesn't. Accepting that, it's such a shit show being sick. <laughs> and being able to find the humor in the insanity, in the tragedy, in the disappointment, in the pain, um, is just helps deal with it.
1: I I agree 100%. I always say that when I talk to the team, I always say, look, we work in the toughest environment there is, the hospital. I mean, Uh when I've done shows, I've worked in big circuses, I've done festivals, I've done stage work, I've done, you know, a lot of different things. But the audience is always kind of at a distance and they're always sort of anonymous. Uh And I'm coming out to present my routines and my my stuff. Uh, Hospital is very different. Uh, There's no room for any of that and there's no Uh time for any of that. And it's a lot more about who you are and not what you do. Mm -hmm. And so what I always say to the guys is we're working in an environment where there's illness and anxiety and all these negative emotions and things and even death sometimes. You have Mm -hmm. to say it. That's what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet there's laughter. Mm -hmm. And that's just a miracle in my mind. like, how can there still be that? And my my brain boggles at the. The idea of the the courage of these kids and families and the indomitable human spirit that is there, Mm -hmm. that in the middle of all of that, they can still be wanting us to come in and break up the room and to laugh and to enjoy it and to be what I consider your best human. I feel Mm -hmm. like laughter is when you're at your best, you know, to me, Mm -hmm. is when you are the most human. Because uh, laughter is a, like an autonomic response. It's not applause, mm-hmm. and it's not "gosh, wow, that was great." Mm-hmm. It's a real, authentic reaction to something that delights you. Mm-hmm. And so, when we shoot our sights up to hitting that laughter, as opposed to just "oh, that was a nice song" or "wow, cool trick," but when we can actually get to what I consider the auto, you know, autonomic response, like mm-hmm. breathing or or uh, you know swallowing. You don't think about once you've swallowed something. Everything else happens by itself. Mm-hmm. When last year's <laughs> happening by itself, then you know you've done something. Yeah. Uh, so I always say when we can be in that environment and face what, a little bit, we face it with them. It's not like mm-hmm. they're facing it, but we we know where we're going. We know yeah. what floor we're on. We know what diagnosis this is going to be. We know a little bit about what's happening. Mm -hmm. And when we can go shoulder to shoulder and stand in there with them and say, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. They're still good. We're still laughing. We're still, Mm -hmm. you know, we're we're human.
0: Now a word about our sponsor, A Bridge. Use a bridge to record your doctor visit. Push the big pink button and record the conversation. Read the transcript or listen to clips when you get home. Check out the app at abridge.com, A-B-R-I-D-G-E.com, or download it on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Record your healthcare conversations. Let me know how it went. You're really stressed, the doctor is crazy busy, and sometimes when I go, I I feel like I'm on stage and I have stage fright. And even though I'm a nurse and I'm an experienced person, all that goes out the window. And I think that I wish that I was better at improv. Things are just Mm -hmm. happening so fast. And so I'm wondering how we as lay people can use some of the skills you have as a clown and an improv to help make that doctor visit less stressful and more satisfying. So not so much like Mm -hmm. the the technical, what are my questions and what's my plan, but helping to change the, the dynamic of those five minutes that you have with such high yeah. expectations.
1: I, say, I think you, you're you onto something there. And it's, it's, uh, it's human nature, I think, to assume that someone who's an expert in their field is somehow unapproachable and somehow should be treated differently. Mm-hmm. And so that raises the anxiety level. You're going to go see... A doctor you're going to go see someone who does things that you can't do and are, and is someone who you have to turn to in this time of need so of course you you naturally are going to assume they're some kind of superhuman and um, th- to me that adds a level of stress to the encounter when you go to the doctor if there's any way to to tell yourself and to make it feel real that this is just a guy or mm-hmm. a woman it's just okay. another human being i do think that we often skew things in our own minds to make it oh i'm not worthy of taking up this doctor's time it, the, the improvisation side of that the clown side of that would be to of course always come back to the equalizing power of laughter I I don't think that that's everyone's wheelhouse. Not Mm -hmm. everyone feels comfortable shooting for comedy. Mm -hmm. But if they can at least take to mind, this is just another person that's there. The reverse side of that would be understanding that if you're going to see the doctor, when he goes home, he's going to sit on the couch and watch TV just like you do, probably. He's not some carved in marble Greek god from Mm -hmm. in the Parthenon or whatever. He's a guy. And you need to approach it in that way, I think, to just not feel so at sea, but just not to feel so lost because we're all regular people Mm -hmm. down deep. I I think think. that
0: humanizing is good. Sometimes when I work with uh, caregivers and patients, they try to put a smile on their face, even if they're not necessarily feeling that, because they find Mm -hmm. that the the other person, the professional, will mimic them. And that helps to uh, diffuse some of the tension. I think a a lot of this uh, is about, it's so tense.
1: We are all human beings Mm -hmm. with our subconscious mind. We're all reading nonverbal communication. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what that workshop we did uh, back in the day was that idea of how can you read that to know how to respond in any given situation? What is the person telling you without saying it? What what does their body language say? What is their expressions or the emotions that they're giving off? What does all that say? Uh, and it's all sort of subconscious and not something that, that they're choosing to communicate. But it is probably closer to the truth than whatever words they're choosing to express themselves. Uh-huh. And so it's being uh, to me part of our work uh, as the clowns in the hospital is to read those nonverbal communication mm-hmm. opportunities. The That's the skill that I think the hospital clown develops because of the focus of our work.
2: Mm-hmm. We
1: aren't necessarily just trying to cure anything. You know, we're not there to see the charts and understand what this medication has done and what this mm-hmm. procedure may have helped with. We don't know any of that. Mm-hmm. We do know the spirit in the room.
2: Mm-hmm. We do
1: know the emotional values that are that are present in this unique room because each room is different. Mm-hmm. Every room has different people in it and different people responding in different ways. It's an exhausting Mental process for the clown. I mean, I, everybody who does this work will tell you by the end of the day, you're probably shocked. You, you, you've been at that heightened level of, a, of awareness, of mm. trying to read every little expression and every little body language type movement and, and to see what you can do that's going to contribute. And mm. instead of detracting from the last thing you want is to make it worse mm. for those folks. Yeah. You know, I mean, that is that's the old medical vow, you know, first do no harm. Mm-hmm. And that's us. So
0: I want to ask you one more question and then I'll let mm-hmm. you go. One of the things that I saw you guys doing that was really impressive to me was that you didn't just go into people's rooms. You sometimes you went with people to procedures and the the kids ended up needing either no or less pain medicine to get them through the procedure. So what's that about?
1: (laughs) We don't go in there thinking that we can cure anything or that we're really going to be able to affect stuff medically. Mm -hmm. However, there is truth in the fact that the patient and family's emotional state will affect how things Proceed, and so there's been a lot of, of evidence and a lot of attention shown to the idea of, you know, the, the human emotions are important, and laughter and the release of the stress release and the uh, comfort level of the patient will will dictate some of that. There's a group in Israel mm-hmm. uh, that uh, you actually get assigned. When it's a pediatric thing, the kid gets assigned a clown uh, that that works with the kid and before anything happens and actually goes along through the stages of the procedure that they can be there for. And actually is uh, it's a whole different focus than what I think we are about. But there is evidence that that is a benefit. Mm -hmm. Now, we go into areas where it might surprise people. Um because we'll be asked, hey, we're trying to to get, you know, this kid to hold still a minute to you and I V, can you guys help us mm-hmm. uh with the distraction with creating a, a an experience where the kid will be able to focus on something else while we make these things happen. Now we're not scrubbing in and going into an emergency room, operating room or anything like that. But um but I do feel like we're part of a circle of care in our way and how we can use our strengths. we can contribute and often with stress reduction and with uh distraction and with raising emotional positivity that it can contribute to things like needing less sedation or needing less uh painkillers later mm-hmm. or there's truth in the fact that laughter releases endorphins, which you know lead to uh healing and and to uh uh, just lower blood pressure and, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, in, in that way, I'll, I'll take it that I'm I'm sort of a medical person. <laughs> uh, not really see myself as a doctor, mm-hmm. other than the fake name that I use when I'm clowning there at the hospital.
0: <laughs> hey Jay, thank you so much. I really appreciate right. you taking the time. Uh, sure, this has been really valuable. see what I mean? Uplifting laughter, tears, deep breathing, feeding optimism. In the November 2018 episode, I included a recording from a caregivers conference I hosted on reading the room lessons from the clowns for the doctor's office. We talked about taking control, managing failure, making connections for support, finding the humor in the shit show, taking care of ourselves. Have a listen. It's in the show notes. Lessons from the clowns never get old. You are not alone. Honor the caregivers. Help the helpers. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks to Kayla Nelson, web and social media coach, and Joey Van Leeuwen, musician and arranger. See the show notes, previous podcasts, and other resources through my website, www.health-hats.com. Please subscribe and contribute. If you like it, share it. Thanks. See you around the block.